0: Well, good morning, morning. and it will soon be afternoon. Um, This is a big day for many people, as has already been mentioned. Uh, And we want to think, though, in terms of what the Lord has to say to uh, each of us uh, from His Word. And uh, I'm entitling my message from... uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and that should be shortly displayed for you. If you don't, if you have your Bibles with you or your, uh, e-tablets or so forth, you can open to Philippians. And as was mentioned, we're studying Philippians Wednesday nights and have just gotten started. I'm going to be at Philippians chapter 4 mostly, but we'll be making reference, uh, to it throughout. While you're finding your place in Philippians, let me just add a word to what Dean said about the missionary conference. Uh, There are flyers for each of you who might be interested on the literature table in the foyer. And one of the speakers is a man named uh, George Sturm. And it just says, other areas there, because we don't say the country where he serves, He has been serving mostly in Albania. He went there soon after it opened up. It had been the most uh, closed of countries, and the Lord has really worked mightily there. And uh, he evidently feels called to a pioneering ministry because he has been going, and on two different occasions now has served for a few months each in, uh, of all places, North Korea. Now, North Korea has been in the news a lot lately through Dennis Rodman. Uh, but this has been a different approach. Uh, our brother Sturm is a uh, mathematics PhD and has uh, gotten in as a, uh, a university teacher there for a university that, uh, that does have some Christian sponsorship from outside the country. Now, of course, he has to operate in a very low-key way, but uh, he will be one of the speakers, Lord willing, uh, there. Uh, and uh, so any of you might be especially interested or maybe have been even led to, to pray uh, for that country Um, pick up one of these flyers and consider going. There will also be a speaker, a good friend of mine from France, who has been serving in that uh, increasingly secular country, which is also in the news a lot, uh, as well as uh, a speaker from Japan and then somebody from prison ministries based in Southern California. So uh, I'm on the board, is one reason I'm promoting this, I'm on the board of the uh, area-wide association of... uh, Congregations like this, which uh, sponsors this this conference three times a year, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward really to this one as as one with special interest. Now, uh, if I were to give a title to the message today, it could be from the passage you see uh, above you, uh, that we are to be rejoicing in the Lord always, and then to be sure we get the message. Uh, he, he underlines it. Again, I will say, rejoice. And the title would be, Rejoice in the Lord Always. Really? Does God really want us to be rejoicing always? I mean, uh, Paul in Romans said, uh, uh, Weep with those who weep, as well as rejoice with those who rejoice. And our Lord Jesus in the Beatitudes, uh, it didn't say, blessed are those who rejoice. He said, blessed are those who mourn. And, uh, we do need to take all of scripture that speaks to any given topic into consideration when we come up with our, our views, our, our understandings. But, uh, um, Paul evidently really meant it here. I mean, as he says, he, he went back and underlined it. And so what I want to do Uh, This morning and on into the afternoon. Is to reflect first briefly just on what Paul means and doesn't mean by this. But then in some ways even more importantly. uh, To look from the word of God. More or less verse by verse starting with uh, verse 4. As to how we are to do this. It's a clear cut command. Rejoice always. but, But how? So. Let's uh, and and then you know you can forget what I say, but do you know consider this passage, and uh, as you go over it from time to time, particularly when you're not feeling joyful, uh, when when there are problems, as many of us have uh, regarding health issues. I've had some of my own lately, uh, of of money issues. Uh, the family, my young, my older son that I live with, we're definitely having them now as we look into putting on an addition uh, to the house. Uh, it could be job issues. Maybe you've been without a job for a while or you're fearful that you might be without one. Or schooling issues. This is the time when applications get submitted for school and so forth. And, of course, there's the continual issue with relationships. Uh, I have a good friend who is a, a primary example of what's called the sandwich generation. Because still uh, much care for uh, his, in this case, his wife's now uh, aged mother, uh, but at the same time, uh, his his daughter, his grown daughter, I guess she's in her early forties now, is is having all sorts of problems, and and the family itself uh, has health issues and job issues and so forth, and and so you know they they feel the relationship problems in in all directions and uh, this is this is where we can be as christians we're not promised uh this side of glory to avoid uh problems and uh but paul nevertheless says to rejoice in the lord always and then he underlines it uh, he puts it in all capitals i guess is the way we would do it uh electronically today so how is it that we are to do that And this doesn't come out of the text, but let me say uh, the first thing is that uh, the kind of joy he's talking about is not the kind that some people just have uh, by their very nature, where they're always sort of jovial, always a smile on their face, and no matter uh, what's going on in their life or the lives of people around them, they're always looking on the bright side. The people, the glass of water, is always half full at least. uh, uh, and never half empty. And yes, that's that's the temperament that some of us have. But but Paul is not just speaking to, to those of us who maybe have that temperament. That's not particularly my temperament. It may not be yours. But it is the temperament of some people here. Especially those who are assigned to be the greeters at the door and so forth. And and that's great, you know. But we do need to recognize that there are differences in temperament. And then we also know that there is such a thing as, as joy uh, when things are going well. Uh, when when uh, when our team is winning, uh, there'll be a lot of people in Denver or in New England uh, in a few hours who are not happy, and others who are. And there'll be a lot of people in the Seattle area and and here in the Bay Area who likewise are either very happy uh, or not. But that's not the kind of joy that Paul is talking about here. It's a legitimate kind of joy. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a particular joy uh, when our team wins or, or when something else uh, very pleasant and that we've been hoping and praying for, you know, takes place. Yes, that, that is appropriate. But Paul is saying rejoice. And, of course, the key word is uh, in the Lord always. Now, you may be saying, well, of course, it was easy for Paul to make that command because um, once he became a Christian anyway his, his life, uh, the Lord, he was a super apostle and the Lord was with him and blessing him wherever he went. And uh, if you know anything about the book of Acts and about the letters of Paul, you know that that's simply not the case. Uh, I won't. Take you now to second Corinthians, but he has a passage there where he summarizes uh, uh, a lot of the problems he 's had, not only different imprisonments uh, but uh, shipwreck, certain other natural disasters like that, uh, flooded rivers. He said he was in danger from rivers. I, I think not the river 's going to rise up and, and attack him, but just that it 's going to be flooded and, and maybe be swept away in it, and then of course, persecution from his opponents, and he mentions that several times. Um, But in some ways even worse was the trouble he had with the churches, even the churches that he had been led of God to found. And he can speak of the the care of the churches that weighs upon him. Gives him sleepless nights. And uh, uh, so Paul had all sorts of of problems. And uh, at times, he didn't like to brag about it, but at times he felt he needed uh, to make that clear. And by the way, uh, some of the people who are out preaching on the radio and the television, they need to have it clear as well because they give the impression that, well, if a Christian has enough faith, uh, they won't have any problems. Uh, they won't have any health problems or other problems either. Uh, it's called the health and wealth gospel and so forth. And they have to sort of overlook Second Corinthians altogether as well as many other portions of the Word of God. But we don't have to go to other portions. We can just see it right here in Philippians. And so I'd like us, before we... Come back to verse four to, to just review briefly some of the things that you've already seen or will be seen uh, in in Philippians itself that that precedes this command that Paul gives to us. And so, looking at Philippians verse one of uh, chapter one and verse thirteen, Philippians one thirteen, and that should come up shortly. And there it is that uh, the palace guard, the praetorium, Uh, he is there in chains. In other words, he's referring to his imprisonment. Paul is writing this letter, which is sometimes called the Epistle of Joy. He is writing it from prison. And now let's go to verse 17 of chapter 1. Bad enough that Paul is in prison, but some of his fellow believers are taking advantage of the fact that that Paul is set aside now. He's not able to be preacher number one in the area. Uh, and uh, they are out there preaching the gospel, preaching it uh, more or less accurately, but from wrong motives. But Paul says uh, that even so, uh, stirring up trouble for him, uh, he's able, uh, he's gonna rejoice in this because the gospel is going forward, even if not for the best of, of motives. And then let's look in chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul uses a very strong word. Today in our idiom, we'd probably use the female dog rather than the male dog. But anyway, he says, watch out for those dogs, uh, those men who do evil. Uh, the mutilators of the flesh. Uh, watch out for them. In other words, these are, are not fellow uh, Christians, even though some of them may be claiming to to be accepting Christ and following Him. And go on now to verse 18. I told you before, and now He's telling them again, with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, so in other words, when Paul is shortly to be telling them to uh, rejoice always, he doesn't mean we're never to cry, because here he says with tears it, it it emotionally affects him that he has to warn them repeatedly about people who are claiming, in some sense, to represent the true God and His Messiah but doing it in a way which is a false gospel, a different gospel. And, of course, we have that sort of thing. It was in New Testament times, and it's been along there uh, ever since. And Paul warns them about watching out for it. But then, flipping on down to chapter 4 and verse 2, shortly before our passage. Here we have two sisters, Yodia and Sintyche. And they've had a falling out. And uh, while well, this isn't as serious as the evildoers uh, that he had to warn against with with, uh, with tears, uh, it obviously is also concerned. This is just one example of what he had written to the Corinthians about uh, the, the the care of the churches, the concern for them. Now, the memory verse uh, that you all, many of you, a few uh, minutes ago, were going to was about our love for one another, and apparently we don't know the issue at all. Um, they must be embarrassed to know that we're still talking about them here 2,000 years later. But uh, whatever the issue was, Paul had to appeal to someone else maybe to uh, to help them to be reconciled, to come back to a genuine love uh, for, for each other. So to be joyful uh, in the sense that Paul is talking about it obviously doesn't mean that we also have other emotions and other concerns um, either from uh natural causes like earthquakes Paul didn't mention that I don't think but but floods and and shipwrecks and so forth uh and from opponents uh and even especially perhaps from fellow believers and so with that keeping all that uh in in mind uh let's let's look now at the basic command coming back to um, Chapter 4 and verse 4 of Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I will say, Rejoice. Now, as I see it, other people might number them somewhat differently, but I see seven ways, seven ways that Paul has given as to how we are to do this. mostly uh, one per verse of the verse that follows. Um, so, let's keep that in mind. Uh, And the first first important thing to keep in mind, I've already mentioned briefly, but it's this little phrase, in the Lord. Paul is not saying that we're to rejoice uh, regardless of what else is going on, but we're to rejoice because we are in the Lord. Now, at the earlier meeting this morning, uh, a brother uh, shared very, very eloquently about uh the joy that we are to have when we do come to be associated with the Lord. And Paul is saying that's the key thing. He's not saying rejoice even when natural things are going horribly, when we have bad illnesses, when we're financially strapped. But we're to keep in mind always that we are in the Lord. As was reminded, our names are written in the book of life. And so this is the first thing we need to keep in mind, that whatever else is going on, that we are, if we have truly accepted Christ, we are in the Lord, and that is the basis for being able to rejoice. And so we're always to keep that in mind. So that's the first point. And then he goes on to say, in verse 5, Let your gentleness is the way the NIV renders it. Be evident to all. And then he adds, The Lord is near. And that's the third point, but we'll just stick with the first part now. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, this word gentleness, uh, you can check me out on this. Those of you who have uh, a Bible application, uh, U Version, of course, is one that's available. You can easily read many different versions. And this is a word that probably has a a wider uh, number of different uh, translations that the modern translators have picked up on uh, than than almost any other that you can come across. Uh, The Greek word is epiakos. It only appears a few times in the New Testament. It It is used of our Lord Jesus. Paul writing to the Corinthians and say uh, he appeals to them by the meekness of the older version. Humility is probably a, a more up-to-date rendering and gentleness of Christ. But then he also, in writing to Titus, says that all Christians should have uh, this as a virtue. Uh But it's not the ordinary word that's translated gentle. The word gentle occurs many times in the New Testament. It's a different word that's used and it's interesting, some of the different translations, but they all have, you know, somewhat the same feel. Uh, the the, new t- the the King James has said that your moderation be made known. Some of the other older versions say that like your forbearance. Um, we don't use the word forbearance so much anymore. But another modern translation says let like your graciousness. And another one says your reasonableness. And another one says... Uh, You're considerate, that your others can see that you're uh, considerate. And so all those things sort of relate together. I think, you know, gentleness isn't the one I would pick as number one, because, you know, some people are by nature and temperament, and even their physical appearance seem to be gentle, and others are are not. Uh, But all of us can be considerate, or can be reasonable, or even, you know, come across with moderation. And sadly, I don't think that's always the way we do come across. One of our other uh, brothers who shared at the earlier meeting stressed about how as believers, when we're just going around, our ordinary business can come across as, in, in a way that you know makes other people want to, to know, well, what is it about this person that's different? If we come across as reasonable, if we come across as considerate, even if we come across as moderate. And sadly, at least sadly from my point of view, there, there are some evangelical believers who feel that, well, no, we've got to come across as radical. We've got to come across as extreme. We've got to come across as telling it like it is. And if they don't like it, well, just too bad. That, uh, that we have a, a, we know we're true. We know we're on the right side. And we're going to make sure that the people know we're right. Uh, even if, it, if we do it in a way that is not considerate, not reasonable, not moderate, not gentle, whatever term you want to use. And it's interesting that Paul is saying that right after saying we are to rejoice in the Lord always, instead of immediately going on with things about, you know, how we can have this besides saying in the Lord, he talks about how we relate to other people. And and I think what he's trying to suggest to us is that in order to fully appreciate the joy that we should have in our relationship with the Lord, we have to be sure that as much as it depends upon us, we're relating to other people appropriately. And not just to those that it's easy to relate to appropriately. He says, let your that be a case, that your gentleness, your reasonableness, whatever word you want to put in there, be evident to how many? To all, to everyone. In fact, there are a lot of key phrases in here where Paul is saying all, everyone, everything. That's part of the secret of it. So, the first point is, in the Lord, is how rejoicing. The second one is that we're to be sure that we're as much as we can, relating to other people with reasonless, consideration, moderation, gentleness, however you want to, want to put that, but they all sort of overlap with each other. And then the third one is in the second part of this verse, the Lord is near. Now, some translations and some commentators say that's referring to the fact that Paul was saying the Lord's return is very soon. Um, some people use that and other passages uh, interpreted like that to say, oh, well, the early Christians thought the Lord was going to come again right away. I think it's more appropriate to say that, no, the Lord could come at any moment. He could have come at any time, even toward uh, the first century, at least after the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Um, And he could have come at any time uh, since then, down through the centuries. And he could come in uh, the last century. He could come in this century. Uh, or it could be still a long time away, uh, and that they're just trying to, uh, by talking about the fact that the Lord's return is imminent, not meaning it's necessarily going to be soon, but it could be. However, I don't think that Paul has in mind here uh, about the Lord's return. This word near is the same word that James uses when he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. It's just like the word we were just singing in, in English. Draw me nearer, Lord. Draw me nearer, nearer, Lord. I think here Paul is saying that the Lord is accessible, that He's close by. He's not far away. Amen. And that uh therefore it also means the Lord is aware of what is going on in our lives. It's not that, uh, you know, we have to tell, hey, Lord, uh, you realize I... I the doctor has told me the lab tests have told me uh, I've got this this big problem, and, and I want to be sure to let you know. no, the lord, the Lord is accessible. The Lord is watching. We could also say, you know the Lord is watching in the sense that he's aware of when it is that we're we're not gentle in relating to other people, uh, when we're not being joyful always. but So I think the third point that Paul is making here. As to how we can rejoice always is to know that the Lord is aware of our situation. And He is accessible. He is someone that we can come to regularly and so forth. And so, the reason I I definitely take that uh, alternative uh, view is because of of verse 6. He said, in fact, if I were the one back in the Middle Ages who divided up the verses, I would have put the second part of verse 5 with verse, verse 6. Because he says in verse 6, the first part of it, do not be anxious about anything. Here's another one of these all words, you know, about anything. But in everything by prayer and so forth. Um, but let's just take the first phrase. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, in some ways, that's just the other side of the coin about rejoicing. Always. And so, if we're rejoicing, that excludes what Paul here means by anxiety, about being anxious about something. And if we are anxious, of course, that impacts our ability to be joyful. So, you say, well, in a sense, this doesn't add anything. This just sort of heightens the command. Rejoice in the Lord always and don't you dare be anxious. Uh, And so, we have the question, well, how... How do we avoid that? How do we obey uh, that, that related command? On the one hand, if we're obeying it, it's helping us to be joyful. But then that immediately transitions to the second part of this verse. In everything. Now, he's just said, don't be anxious about anything. But again, he wants to underline that. So, he says, in everything. In anything, whatever it is, you know. And then he uses at least three different words now for praying to God, or maybe you could say it's four, because he says by prayer, a more general thing, by uh, by petitions, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So the three things that we're asking God about well, within the framework of prayer, that are petitions, are requests. But then Paul says, with thanksgiving. Now, we all know about that. But, of course, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it. And if something is significant enough to trouble us, it is important enough, significant enough to bring to God. He's that kind of God. We we shouldn't have the idea that, well, I don't want to bother God with that. He wants us in everything, Paul says, whatever it is, anything that might tend us to anxiety. Now, it's interesting, Paul in another context, uses this very same word to say something that, that he felt. And so I think it, it we do need to say there is a legitimate place to be worried. We do need to take appropriate security. We heard about security and about the need to, you know, worry about hackers and as well as other kinds of thievery that, that may go on. Um, I've had uh, just in the past couple of weeks, uh, even without being a target shopper, uh, I had my my credit card number in fact it's two different uh credit card numbers had gotten stolen um and and it is you know uh, awkward uh and fortunately uh they didn't get any of the funds stolen but it is uh, uh it is something we need to be aware of and in one sense it's a little thing, but in another sense uh we do need to have proper precautions and and to be appropriately uh, worried in, in the sense of exercising uh, due caution. Um, but, what too many people do, and what even Christians can do if they're not careful, is to let a legitimate concern go over into what Paul is here calling anxiety in the bad sense. To be fretting about it. To be whatever terms you find appropriate to say we're we're letting this disturb our joy, disturb our peace, uh, to be like those who don't have a heavenly Father that we can bring uh, our petitions and requests to. So Paul is saying that uh, not to be anxious about anything, and then he's giving right away, and this is the fifth uh, sort of how we keep our joy uh, by saying, well, in every situation, Whenever our joy seems maybe to going to be troubled, we should bring our request uh, to God. And then uh, Paul goes on to say that the peace of God, uh, it transcends understanding. We may not be able to explain it, especially if somebody asks you, well, how can you be so much at peace when you've had this diagnosis of cancer or when you've just lost your job or uh, when your child has been kicked out of school or whatever? Uh, how can the, the peace of God be there? Well, He says it transcends all understanding, uh, and that's just the, the, way, the way it is. The verse seven uh, of chapter four: the peace of God will transcend uh, our uh, any explanation that we might give, but it guards our hearts and minds, and again in Christ Jesus. So I would say that's the, the sixth point to recognizing. That God, the God who is near, the God who is accessible, as we bring our specific requests, not just in general and say, oh, Lord, I'm thankful, but the specific things we're thankful for, that he'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the seventh point, we're going to wait until the end of the passage, because now we're going to come back to the question in verse eight, chapter four, verse eight. How is it that we're to be gentle? How is it we're to be moderate? How is it we're to be considerate? Uh, and it seems to me Paul is giving um, two things as guidelines for us there. One in verse 8 and one in verse 9. In verse 8, well-known verse, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and uh, lovely, admirable, excellent, uh, whatever is praiseworthy and, and so forth, uh, to think on these things. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it hard to think about these things in the abstract. Now, what is purity? What is loveliness? I think we need to emphasize, Paul is saying, think on specific things, specific words, specific actions, specific ways that could be described by one of these adjectives if you were to do it. In other words, that we are to practice how we will respond if we are in a, a certain situation. If somebody comes up in school or at work and, and bullies you or harasses you, uh, if, if something happens, you know, how is it that we're going to respond in a way that an outside observer or God Himself would say, that person, the way they were acting or that situation was, was certainly unpleasant or even horrible, but your response was praiseworthy. They probably wouldn't use that word praiseworthy. Uh, they would probably say something like, your response was awesome. Your response, if you were British, you would say, your response was brilliant. I think they still say that there. Um, in other words, Paul is using his Greek vocabulary to say how you would describe something that is an appropriate response. And Paul is telling us, and the key word I would say here is rehearse, practice. If any of you were sports fans and saw... Uh, and heard about the 49ers' uh, victory to get into the game this afternoon. Uh, you heard that that phenomenal catch in the corner of the end zone. The guys had been practicing that. It wasn't the quarterback who was throwing it; it was the running back who was throwing it to the guy who caught it as a practice many times. They were rehearsing how they would do something which would then be called magnificent, uh, outstanding, awesome. And and so this happens, people. Uh, who do perform well in music, uh, in in athletics, uh, whatever it might be, they they rehearse, they go over it, it just doesn't come natural. they have to practice it. And Paul is saying, well, uh, if you are not the kind of person who just naturally relates positively to people and is gentle and modern and always has the right thing to say, practice it. And then he says in verse 9, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Paul is saying, follow my example. Now, elsewhere, he said, follow my example as I follow Christ's example. But they haven't seen Christ in person. So, he's not being, you know, losing humility there. He's being more practical. And, of course, Paul's not around now. So, what Paul is saying, in effect, is that, Follow the example of somebody who is a good, mature Christian leader. If you want to know how to behave, uh, your leaders should set a, a good example, and the key word we can use there instead of rehearse, the key word is imitate, imitate the good the good examples. Then in verse ten, we'll sort of skip Paul's giving an example there in verse 10 he is thankful to them for what they've done. And now in verses eleven through thirteen, we come up to the seventh point, and in some ways, the very important one as well. All of these are important, but especially point number seven summarizes it all. Paul is saying in verse 11 through 13, he's thankful to them, and then he says, I'm saying this uh, uh, bec- not saying because I'm in need, but I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Most of us here in America, of course, by comparison with others, do have plenty. But Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And now he's going to tell us the secret in verse, uh, fifth, uh, verse 13 there. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And we were just singing, weren't we, that he is able, more than able. In other words, Paul is saying we can rejoice because we have a God who is near, that we can bring our petitions, but also be thankful for the way he's answered in the past, uh, that, that we have a God who wants us and enables us to relate properly to other people but then a God who, whatever our outward circumstances, and they can vary widely, even within a person and certainly from group to group, that God is able to give us the strength, as we call upon it, to face whatever it might be. And you might say, well, you know, this... Paul was an apostle. He could make this claim for himself. And so he doesn't want anybody to use that excuse. So skip on down to verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. He's applying this to all of His uh, listeners back then and applying it because back then people weren't able to carry around Bibles to read and so they mostly heard it. But now we can read it as well as hear it and He's applying it to us as well. Now, you may be saying that, uh, well... Paul was a great Christian and, and I'm sure there are many other great Christians, but uh, um, I, I just find this too hard to do. No, Paul realized that he himself didn't always do this. And so I want to close with Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12, 13, and 14 so that we don't get too discouraged when we find ourselves not obeying all that Paul has said here. And in Philippians 3, And verses 12 through 14, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we appreciate the honesty of the brother Paul that he hadn't yet fully arrived, that even what he's calling the rest of us to do, uh, rather emphatically, that uh, he himself is still pressing on toward doing this. And uh, Father, we, we know that probably even more than he, we, we do need to call upon you regularly to give us the strength uh, to uh, face the various circumstances that we face. But we, we take from your word and from your past faithfulness to us that you will indeed answer our prayers and our prayers for one another that you do give us the strength if we do indeed take hold of it, if we do claim it. Not that we can avoid these problems even as the Apostle Paul didn't avoid all sorts of problems, physical and relational, but uh, you can give us the strength, the wisdom to know how to deal uh, with each uh, problem that we encounter. And Father, we thank you for the good examples that you have set before us down through the centuries of, of uh, our fellow believers whom we can imitate. And we, we pray through the Holy Spirit to give us the, uh, the ability to practice, to rehearse how it is that we should respond, how it is that we should deal uh, with uh, whatever difficult circumstances come our way. And Father, we do pray, if there are any in this room right now, who have not yet come to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they have been turned off by Christians who have not behaved in a gentle or moderate way toward them. Maybe they uh, have been turned against you because of difficulties that they have had in in their lives or in the lives of people close to them. May they realize that uh, you you indeed are eager for them to come to you that you will forgive any of their uh, doubts and opposition in the past, that you are a loving God reaching out to them as shown by the Lord Jesus Christ having come all the way down to earth and endured the humiliation of the cross uh, in order to make us aware of our need for the salvation that you are so freely offering to all who receive it. We pray all this now in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.